0: Well, it's good to see everybody this morning, and uh, this morning we're continuing our look at Colossians, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 24, and uh, I'll just mention this because I want this to be in the back of your mind as we look at this passage together. We're going to be talking about this idea of using your life's work to glorify Christ. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind as we read what the Apostle Paul shared as the Holy Spirit gave him these words. In Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 24, this is what it says Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the opportunity you've given to us today to be able to look at it together. And Lord, we're grateful that we have opportunities like this where we can just put all our other concerns aside and just focus on the teaching of your word. We know, Lord, that as you spoke through the Apostle Paul, you also gave him the desire to facilitate maturity within the early church. And Lord, we know that as we gather for moments like this, as we gather to worship you, as we gather to fellowship with one another, as we gather to sit under the teaching of your word, we know, Lord, that one of the benefits that we get to experience as we internalize the truth of your word and as your spirit speaks to our hearts is the fact that we get to grow mature as well, as we cooperate with you, as we... Work together with you. Lord, we know that throughout the course of our lives there are times we go back and forth, but at the same time, Lord, we pray that by your grace that we would allow your power to work within us and that as we look at this portion of your word together that you'd help us to understand it and that by your grace our faith will grow. So we thank you, Lord, for this portion of your word. We commit our time together uh, to you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me say, Something, just kind of setting this up today, every effort, every hobby, and every occupation or profession can be something that we submit over to the Lord's direction and seek to use for His glory. So in God's economy, I don't believe that there's such a thing as work that's sacred and work that's secular. It's all sacred when it's done for his honor. No matter what it is, it's all sacred when it's done for his honor, as long as it's something ethical, as long as it's something within the will of God. And I'll give you an example. The other day, our mailman stopped by. He stopped by our house. He delivered our mail. Um, I happen to know him rather well. Some of you know him rather well as, as well. And when I knew that he was coming, I actually videoed it and put him up on Facebook. And he's like, great, why do you do this to me, right? But I appreciate the joyful manner in which he does his work. He's someone who loves Christ. He's someone who, who seeks to be the, an ambassador of the joy of Christ wherever he delivers. And in fact, as he pulled away, he actually stopped his car. This I didn't film. I wish I was still filming. Uh, but as he stopped his car or he stopped his truck, he, he did so to double check that he had the dates right for the next men's Bible study here at the church. He's like, I, uh, real quick, before I pull away, do I have the dates right? So we talked about that. And I think about that because each of us has been given a set number of days here on this earth. We've been given unique personalities. We've been given wisdom. We've been given strength. We've been given relationships. We've been given opportunities. And I believe that the Lord wants us to capitalize on the the unique set of resources and the unique set of abilities that He's blessed us with. And each and every one of us gathered together here in this space have been blessed with unique opportunities and unique blessings. And those things may be expressed through our vocation. That might be one of the ways that these things get expressed. But they might also be expressed in ways that have nothing to do with how we earn a living or earned a living in the past. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, when you look at the words that he's speaking of here in this portion of Scripture, it's very clear that he was highly aware of the work that the Lord had entrusted to him. Or you could say the responsibility that the Lord had entrusted to him. He knew that he had been equipped by the Lord to teach. He knew that he had been equipped by the Lord to train. He also knew that he was called by the Lord to go where others were often unwilling to go. Paul was willing to stick his neck out in ways that many people commonly shy away from, and the risks that he took, when you look at the history of Paul's life as it's recorded in Scripture, those risks often involved pain, a lot of it. But when you look at what what we're shown in a portion of Scripture like this, and when you look at the total story, Paul's work gives us a good glimpse of what it looks like when we take the risk to do what Jesus calls us to do, and then we do it where He calls us to do it. And when I look at a passage like, like Colossians chapter 1, when I look at verses 24 down to 29, which, which we just read, and we'll reread portions of these in just a moment, There are a few questions that I feel compelled to ask in regard to the work that Christ has entrusted to me, and I want to share these questions with you because I think that they could be helpful questions for you to be asking yourself as well as we seek to apply this portion of Scripture to the experiences and to the life and to the the life's work, ultimately, that the Lord entrusts to us. And the first question I want to invite us to just be asking is this, do you rejoice or do you complain in the midst of your seasons of suffering? Do you rejoice or do you complain in suffering? Look at what Paul says here in verses twenty-four and twenty-five. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. And by the way, before I even continue reading, and I'll continue reading, even that right there, if we just if that's the only thing we focused on today, wouldn't that be a challenging life lesson to try and apply? Just that just those those verses there. I mean, when you even think of, of some of the things that, that you have suffered in recent days or in recent years. He says here, I rejoice in my sufferings. Look at what else he says. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Suffering is not a pleasant thing. Suffering is not pleasant. I don't think any of us enjoy suffering. I think, some, I, I think suffering is something that we instinctively try to minimize. We instinctively try to minimize it in our own life, but we also try and minimize it in the lives of other people. I think many of you have already noticed because you've, many of you have already participated in this, but right now we've, we've been gathering food. We've been collecting food for those that are in an in a impoverished state, right? So we've been collecting food. Well, why are we doing that? We're trying to alleviate suffering in Christ's name. And many of you know that that next week we're going to be collecting clothing. Again, why are we collecting clothing? Well, we're doing this to help those who lack it. We're doing this to supply a need for those that have a need. It's a way of alleviating suffering. I think instinctively we feel compelled to try to alleviate suffering. But some forms of suffering, and I want you to hear me on this as I say this, some forms of suffering actually have a deeper level purpose. And God may not choose to immediately relieve us of those forms of suffering. There are certain seasons of suffering that I've endured during the course of my life that I, I didn't realize it necessarily immediately, but eventually I, be, I, I came to realize that it was not God's will to remove that suffering from my life immediately. And in fact, I'm convinced that over the course of my life, I have grown more through my seasons of suffering than I've grown through my seasons of ease. Which is kind of interesting, because I pray to the Lord for growth all the time, but I never pray to the Lord for suffering. <laughs> and yet, every time I look back over the course of my life, not every time, but most of them, most of the seasons when I, when I experienced the most growth, most of the seasons where my prayer life was the sweetest, tended to be in conjunction with a season of suffering that I was going through. I actually think that the Lord knows what we can take, what's too much. I actually think He times it throughout the course of our life, a little bit at a time, like our gracious Father that He is. But one of the things that I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to do, I'd encourage you to try and do this as well as our faith matures together, is to start looking at our seasons of suffering from God's redemptive perspective which can be challenging to do in the moment. It's a little bit easier for me personally when I'm a little bit past the season of suffering to look back on it with a clearer mind. But when you're in the midst of a season season of suffering, knowing that God is working all things together for his glory and your good, that means he must have a redemptive purpose for any suffering he allows you or I to experience. And so I think that's something that the Apostle Paul was starting to realize and I think that's why he was able to look at his suffering and say, now I rejoice in my suffering. I don't think he could always say, now I always rejoiced in my suffering. But I think he's saying, I'm at the season of life, I'm at the season of my faith, where I've learned I can actually rejoice in my suffering. At one point, I don't think I realized I could do this. Now I realize I can do this. And, and he's even saying this to the Colossians. So he says, what's the deal here? I'm suffering for you. I'm not suffering here for me. I'm suffering here for you, So Paul's choice to be obedient to Christ's commission, Paul's choice to be willing to spread the gospel throughout the course of a very hostile world at the time, it, it resulted in suffering in his life in many different ways. And here, his letter to the Colossians, he's writing this from a place of confinement as he's under house arrest. And we also know when you look at, at, at Paul's history, when you look at his life, he experienced seasons of physical exhaustion. He experienced seasons of hunger. He experienced seasons where he was being threatened with violence. One of my favorite stories from the Apostle Paul's life is when uh, he's lowered over a wall in a basket. Tell me that wouldn't be scary and hilariously fun at the same time. Don't you think like if you were Paul in that moment, you'd be like, all right, I might die, but if I go, this is going to be a fun way to go. That's, and maybe I'm messed up and thinking that way, but I, you know you're going to go somehow. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I would rather be chased out of a city by people that are trying to kill me and friends lowering me over the wall in a basket than, like, choking on peanut butter or something like that because that's how I think I'm actually going to go. It's either going to be a mozzarella stick or peanut butter, and uh, I already know. I already know it's going to be a very unglorious end for me. At least that's how Andrea is convinced that I'm on my way out. But one of, regardless, I want it to be maybe something like, you know, the threats that Paul was experiencing. And you look at the physical peril that he endured during the course of his life, and it's amazing. And, and he, he looked at this, and he realized that, that what, was, what was happening is, yes, he was taking risks, but he was doing it for a greater purpose because he was given a great opportunity to make the Word of God known where people didn't have a full understanding of it. And he just stayed motivated all throughout the course of his life to actually risk his well-being because he was so compelled to do what God had called him to do in that respect. He realized, God has uniquely taught me and equipped me and called me to do this, and so he did it, and he took the risk. And so instead of complaining about suffering that he was enduring— You have Paul rejoicing in the midst of this, and he describes his suffering here in a very interesting way, and I I wonder if any of us were kind of scratching our minds when I read this a couple times already, but let me read it again. It's in verse 24. He describes his suffering here this way. He says, his suffering is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, when I read that before and when I just reread that, did that statement cause you to scratch your head a little bit and, and think, like, what does that mean? What does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body? That's actually something the theologians debate. There's, there's some debate over what the Apostle Paul meant by that, because it's one of those statements that you look at and you say... Like, I, I, don't, I don't immediately get that. Like, what, like, why would he say that? Why would he say it that way? Well, let, let, me, let me give you a good understanding of what I think Paul is trying to convey here. Because in making this statement, Paul was not trying to imply that Christ, that Christ lacks anything. That's not what he is saying here. Or that, or that the work Christ accomplished on our behalf was somehow incomplete or insufficient, because Paul directly says elsewhere that the work Christ completed was sufficient. So he's not not saying one thing in one breath and then a totally different thing in another breath. I believe what Paul's doing here is he's describing a facet of our union with Christ. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to Him, Scripture says. You have union with Christ. We are united to Christ through faith. And when we're united to Christ through faith, what does Scripture refer to us as? There's a variety of things you could probably say there. We're certainly His bride, but we're also referred to as Christ's body. You ever seen that in Scripture? You know, even when you look at what it says here? We're referred to in Scripture as his body, the body of Christ. And the suffering that Paul is experiencing here, that he's talking about, that he's enduring, the things that he's willing to go through on behalf of the church, these are things that he's not suffering alone. It's a continuation of the suffering of Christ that's experienced by the church. It's, a, it's suffering that Jesus is enduring with Paul. I believe that's what he's trying to convey here, just as he's present with us in our sufferings. When you're in the midst of a season of suffering, you're not suffering alone. When I'm in the midst of a season of suffering, I'm not suffering alone. Christ is right there with us, just as he promised he would be with us. And I think that this is one way that Paul is describing this union with Christ and the fact that Christ is right there with him, that Paul's not abandoned to do these things without the strength of Christ, that Christ is present with him in the midst of this suffering. So this was a form of suffering that Paul was living through on behalf of the church that the Lord foreordained for the greater good of his people. Now, when I read through a passage like this, and when I consider what Jesus specifically endured on our behalf to secure our salvation, and then when I look at what the Apostle Paul endured to serve the church and to and to share the message of the gospel, this reminds me of a variety of things, but one of the key things it reminds me of is the, is the kind of attitude that I think that the Lord wants us to have toward our seasons. Of suffering. This is a reminder to me that he brings good things out of pain. And to actually complain like I'm tempted to at times and like you're tempted to at times might actually mean that we're effectively grumbling against the sovereign plan of God. You ever think about that? That some of the things that we've complained about over the course of our life, we were actually complaining about the sovereign plan of God that he was ultimately working in and through us for our good and for the good of others in our lives and for His glory, and yet we complained about it? And I think that that's the difference sometimes between a a mature faith and an immature faith. A mature faith starts to realize that in the midst of all circumstances, God's still with us and that His hand is still upon us and that we are not abandoned A young faith or an immature faith might start to look at our our adverse circumstances and start framing it in our mind as if God has abandoned us. And that's not the case at all. And here's the thing, the Lord's never going to call you or I to endure something on this earth that He was not personally willing to endure first. And in fact, the treatment that Christ endured on this earth was worse than any suffering you or I will experience. Because I've borne the weight of my sin and I've dealt with the consequences of other people's sin that are close to me, but I've never borne the sin of the entire world. I've never borne the sin of the entire human race for all time. And yet Christ, in the midst of his suffering, did. And so when I complain about my sufferings, it's so small when you look at what Christ endured on our behalf. And it seems funny to complain about something that might very well be a big part of the sovereign plan of God and the work that He's doing. And so since our joy is not dependent on circumstances, I think one of the things we can do is we could ask the Lord to give us the grace to learn to rejoice, even when He allows us to experience prolonged seasons of discomfort. And I'm actually convinced that sometimes it's those seasons of discomfort that produce the most holiness in our lives. And... Uh, I don't know if you've known this. Parents, I hope this encourages your heart. Future parents, I hope you kind of keep this in mind. One of the things that will challenge you and test you more than anything is raising children. And, uh, you know, I've noticed through the years, like, there are moments that are just so enjoyable and so wonderful, and then there are other moments that are so stressful and exhausting and moments where you're like, "Hey, look at all the nice things I did for you." And then the, you look at the complaint or the sass you get in return. And then and you think, well, "What is this?" Like, "Why? Like why?" Like you realize you woke up in a house today, right? You you realize that like the food in the pantry just doesn't magically appear, right? You realize like it's warm in here. You know how it got warm in here? Someone paid for it to be warm in here, right? I can go on. But I look at moments like that and I've realized it's moments like that where you serve and you're not told thank you that actually have a sanctifying effect sometimes where you realize it keeps you humble and it makes you realize life's not all about you. Keeps you a little bit grounded. It's a little bit challenging. And then I look at it and it's like, oh, I've done way worse to my parents and I've done way worse to God. And I go through life And it's like, oh, Lord, why'd you give us six to eight inches of snow? I don't want a shovel. And he's like, you know, snow is water. You're welcome. You like water. I've seen you drink it. (laughs) You know, and it's like, I I noticed you didn't get bit by a mosquito today. No, I really didn't. It's like, yeah, you're welcome. I, I cleared the palate. No mosquitoes in January. You're welcome, John, right? It's like, why do I complain? Because I'm still a child, too. And you're still a child too. And that's what children do. We complain sometimes. And so I just kind of wonder, it's like, all right, Lord, is my faith growing? Am I at a spot where I can learn to rejoice in my suffering or do I still complain? Sometimes I do both. But what I want to do is I want to rejoice. Because I look at what Paul's saying here. He's like, now I rejoice in my sufferings. It's like, how do I get to that spot? How do I get there where my instinct starts to become to rejoice in my sufferings? I don't have to, like, coach myself to rejoice in my sufferings, but I want my instinct to be rejoicing in my suffering. It's kind of interesting that that's Paul's perspective. I also love what he kind of segues from that to tell us next. And I think a good question we could ask us is this. Do you ever thank God for what he's revealed to this generation? You know, we're talking about being appreciative children. All right, well, there's certain things he's revealed to this generation that other generations didn't get to know. You get to know it. They did not know it. And Paul here talks about it. Look what he says in verses 26 and 27. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've mentioned from time to time how much I enjoy history, and recently I was doing something. I don't even know what necessarily got me on this trail of thought. I guess I could trace it back a little bit, but recently I was looking at very old pictures of schoolhouses from many years ago. Have you ever looked at stuff like that, seen what it was like to to go to school in centuries past and what schoolhouses were like? I don't know what your school was like, but uh, I'm confident that it was most likely nicer than many of the the pictures and images of schoolhouses that I was looking at as I was looking at that. Because right now, where we live and when we live, we've been blessed to live in an era of of rapidly expanding innovation. So those innovations have improved community development. Those innovations have, have improved construction and construction methods, indoor climate control, sanitation, all of that, right? So because of that, it's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like to go to a school without plumbing or without running water, how about this, if washing your hands just required, everybody had, there was one bucket of water, and all throughout the course of of the day, everybody washed their hands, if they washed their hands in that same bucket. I'm looking at the nurses right now saying, no, no. Hey, you'd end up with a really strong immune system, right? Or dead, one of the two, but it's gonna be one of the two, right? And and you look at that, it's hard for us to imagine taking turns, showing up early for school so that you could be the one putting the coal in the coal stove to make it so it's, it's warm when everybody else shows up, right? So there's clear benefits to being born when we were born, even just from a construction standpoint or even from a standpoint of being able to look at, you know, how we did our schooling, or even from the standpoint of construction methods in the homes that we live in. Now, from a spiritual standpoint... Ever since coming to understand some of the things mentioned here and mentioned in the book of Ephesians, um, I have often thought about how grateful I am to be living during this era of history. And Paul even addresses some of these things here because we live after the earthly ministry of Jesus. We live after His crucifixion. We live after His resurrection. And during this season of history, we have the completed canon of Scripture. We've got the whole thing. Believers of earlier generations did not have it. We also experienced the the benefit of being indwelled by the Holy Spirit the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That was not the experience of the believers in the Old Testament era. And so now the Holy Spirit, as He lives in us, what does He do? He guides us. He transforms our minds. He helps us recall the teaching of Christ, Scripture tells us. The Holy Spirit, what does He do? He comforts us. He counsels us. He makes the Word of God understandable when we read it. He makes the Word uh, word of God understandable when we're hearing it proclaimed. And living in this era also comes with one additional benefit that the Apostle Paul addresses here in this passage. There are things that we know, things that have been revealed to us, that previous generations of believers were unaware of. They didn't even know about these things. So Paul uses a word here to describe that. He talks about a mystery. You see that here in this passage? It gets used elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul uses it elsewhere, but he's talking about a mystery. Let me tell you something theological about what, he's, what he means when he's saying that word, when he's using that word. In theological terms, mystery is information that was hidden in a previous era that's revealed in a later era. So when he's talking about a mystery here, he's talking about something that believers living during the Old Covenant, believers living during the Old Testament era, they didn't know about this. But now we know about it because it's been revealed to us. It was a mystery. It was veiled information that is now made known. It's made, it's revealed. It's, it's shown to us. Well, what's the mystery that the Apostle Paul is speaking of in this passage? What do we know and what do we get to experience as believers in this generation that believers during the Old Testament era were unaware of? Well, the mystery that Paul speaks of here, it relates to the ways in which the Lord has chosen to bless the Gentile nations. When reading through the Old Testament, one of the things that it's very obvious uh, that God chose to do is He chose to do a wonderful work through the Jewish people. You're reading through the Old Testament, you see that, right? God's doing a wonderful work. There's a small group of people that He turns into a larger group of people, and He blesses them in wonderful, wonderful ways. He raises up prophets through them. He makes them a nation. He gives them a land of their own. He promises them an eternal inheritance in His kingdom. He sends His Son as their Messiah. He sends His Son as their Redeemer. He even told them ahead of time that He was going to do that, and He even promised them that a day was going to come when the Gentile nations would also believe in the Messiah. But the mystery, however, that wasn't wasn't known during the Old Testament era was that Gentiles and Jews would be united together into one body through faith in that Messiah. That we would be united into one body called the church. That wasn't fully revealed yet. And as one body, we share in a common inheritance in God's kingdom. They didn't realize that yet. We share in one hope. We share an equal footing. And that's been secured through Jesus Christ, who tore down the wall that divided us when he gave his life on behalf of each of us on the cross. The book of Ephesians makes that clear as Paul speaks of a mystery. He talks about that. And this book, which was written at the same time, he speaks of that mystery as well. This is knowledge that we have that believers during the Old Testament era weren't aware of. So I'm grateful to know that. I'm grateful to experience that. And as we look at it again, I'm I'm reminded to give thanks to God for what He's graciously made known to this generation, It has a major impact on my perspective. It has a major impact on our quality of life. I think it has a major uh, impact on our vision and on our hope. Does it not do your heart good to know that the Lord has things like that in store for you? And you know when that tends to be really, really helpful? When you're going through a season of suffering. It connects to the things he was just talking about. Because one of the things that I think helps us endure the suffering we go through is the fact that we have hope that's beyond it. That I don't have to look at a moment and say this is all there ever will be. That it will never get better. That this is a season that will never end. That this is a season that will never change. It'll pass. And there's a great hope that the Lord has in store for us. And this portion of Scripture reminds us that this is a mystery, and this was a mystery to to believers living in a previous era, but to you and I, this is the type of thing we could look at and say, wait a second, this has been revealed to us now. I have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. I have a permanent inheritance in the kingdom of God. I can have hope beyond this moment. That's a wonderful thing to think about. One other thing that Paul brings up in this passage that I want to ask as a question And I want us to be thinking about this just as an application of how to actually live out a portion of Scripture like this. Just simply the question, who are you warning and who are you teaching? Who are you warning and who are you teaching? The way he says it here is like this. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So you see that emphasis on spiritual maturity. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's a great portion of Scripture. A few weeks ago, I was driving just down here, headed toward Core Creek Park. And if you're familiar with that road, just down from the church building here, uh, it's a wooded section. You know, there's woods on both sides of your car if you're driving on this road, right down here, Bridgetown Pike, which is closed at present because of the snow and ice today. But if you're going through this way, it's woods on both sides. It's a, it's a, a beautiful part of, of uh, our, our community to drive. And as I was driving, as I was going in this direction toward Woodbourne Road, uh, another driver coming the other way started flashing his lights at me. He's flashing his lights. Now, I didn't know exactly what he was trying to communicate. I just saw that the lights were flashing, and most of us realize that that's basically the universal signal that something is wrong. You know, something is wrong. I wasn't sure, so I started running through the options. If someone flashes their lights, what do you do? You start running through the options in your mind. One of the, I thought, all right, do I have my high beams on? I'm like, it doesn't matter if I have them on, it was day. So I was like, all right, it doesn't matter if I have the high beams on. Um, I, I wondered maybe there's an accident up ahead. I also wondered if maybe he was warning me to watch my speed. I thought that was you know, possibly an option. It turns out that he was, he was warning me that there were deer trying to cross the road, because it's wooded on both sides, and Cork Creek Park has a ton of deer, and so and I saw it right away, as soon as I got past his car, I saw it right away, a whole bunch of deer trying to cross the road, so I slowed down, and I watched, it was actually fun to watch, you know, a whole bunch, they took their sweet old time, but it was still, not. I wasn't in a rush, thankfully, it was nice to just watch them cross the street, and uh, I appreciated his word of caution, I appreciated the fact that he alerted me to the fact that there was a potential problem immediately up ahead. That was a very courteous thing of someone I didn't even know to do on my behalf. Now, frequently in life, I think we'll be given the opportunity to communicate important messages to others, and sometimes we'll share a message of warning. Sometimes the message you communicate will be a message of warning. Other times it'll be a message that you're teaching that would be more of a a message of wisdom that you're passing along. But here's what makes that complicated. Whether you're passing along a warning or you're passing along a word of wisdom, many of the people that you attempt to warn, or many of the people that you attempt to pass along your wisdom to, they will ignore what you have to say. If you are a leader, or a business owner, or a teacher, or a parent, or a friend, this is likely to become a source of frustration. (laughs) This is probably something that you could identify as a source of present frustration, right? But I want to encourage you to do something, because the Apostle Paul certainly understood what that was like. Make the attempt anyway, even if it seems initially like nobody is listening. Paul wanted the young church of this era to grow mature in their walk with Christ. You see him bring that up repeatedly. And so he took the risk to warn them about the things that could threaten their growth in the faith. He wanted them to understand there are certain things that could get in the, in the way of you growing in your faith, so he tried to warn them. But he also made great efforts to teach the Word of God to them and even risked his own life to be able to do so. In fact, it was to this end that he said that he toiled with all the energy that God had given him. I love the way he phrases that. Did you catch that? That he doesn't say, a lot of times when we're, we're talking about the energy we're using, we talk about, it's like, oh, I use, I'm, all my strength is gone. I've used up all my energy. I love what Paul says. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that He powerfully works within me. Can you tell that God is at work in your life and and that the Lord is happy to lend you His power? And you know when you experience the power of God? When you're doing what He called you to do. You know when you don't experience the power of God? When you're using your own strength to run from what He called you to do. And if you want to walk in the power of God, if you want to experience the strength of God, if you want to run in the power of God... Run in the direction he's calling you to run. Don't run from it, run toward it. And Paul here talks about, he says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so Paul here is toiling, he's doing this. He's using the energy God had given him. I'm at a special season of life right now. It's a very interesting season. Some of you are also at the same exact season of life. There are people in my family who are older than me, and yet they seek my counsel. That sounds great, doesn't it? It's like, wow, you're older than me, and you seek my counsel. Also, people in my family who are younger than me, and they do the same. Not long ago, an older relative asked for my advice. I gave it, and he ignored it. (laughs) And that was followed by a younger member of my family asking for my advice as well. And he will also probably ignore it. And it would be comical if it wasn't so sad. But if the Holy Spirit lives within you, and your mind is saturated with the Word of God, keep warning and keep teaching. I think you will frequently end up telling people things they don't want to hear, but speak up anyway. They may ignore your counsel in the moment, but then circle back to your advice at a later season of life. And I want to end this morning by giving you an example that, I, that stays in my mind. It's not an example from my own life, but it's an example from a friend's life. I know of a man who got saved as an adult when he started thinking about the Bible teaching that he received as a kid. His family brought him to church as a child. As an adult, he wasn't going to church or participating in things like that. But he remembered some of the things that he was taught as a kid, and he actually had a long commute. He used to commute into Philly, he would take the train, and he had a long commute, and that gave him ample time to think. And this is in the era before we all had a smartphone to distract us constantly so that we never have a moment to think, so he had the benefit of not having anything to do with his hands or anything like that. He just had time to think, long commute, time to think, and so he would think, and he would think, and somewhere along the way during his commute, some of those verses and some of that teaching started to come back to his mind many years, decades after these things were first communicated to him. And in the midst of that, hearing things decades later in his mind that were taught to him as a child, that's how he came to faith in Jesus Christ and got saved. So imagine that, you sharing the gospel with somebody today, and 30 years from now they say yes to Christ. And you thought in the moment your warning and your wisdom were being ignored. And sometimes it just has a long fuse. And there's more to the story. He came to faith in Christ, and then he got involved in a local church. And then he started teaching his family about Jesus. He was blessed with a young son and a young daughter, and he started teaching them about Jesus. And when his children became adults, his son became a missionary, and his daughter became a professor at a Bible college. that happens to be right down the street. And also his son, as a missionary, when he came off the mission field, came and he happened to teach at that same Bible college. He's the one that told me the story. And I always thought that was so cool. And you think sometimes that the things that you're saying, no one's listening. And sometimes it just takes a while. just takes a little while. Where has the Lord called you to serve? Just think about this for a quick second. And I'm not necessarily talking about your vocation. It could be your vocation. But it could be something other than that or a combination of these things. It doesn't have to be a vocation. I don't know that you'd necessarily look at what Paul was doing and say that was his vocation. I think in many respects you'd look at what he was doing and say like tent making might have been his vocation. But preaching was his calling, right? Are you committed to use your life's work to bring Christ glory? Are you committed to use your life's work to bring Christ glory. Because the Lord will put you in spots where he will use you in a surprise way. I don't have permission to use the person's name to to share this, but you know this person. Someone that's connected with our our church family um, recently said to me, he said, hey, I was just given an opportunity to use my trade in a context where it's primarily a Muslim group. Uh, So, do you think it's okay that I use my trade in this context? Or do you you think I should maybe decline the invitation to go and work for them? And we talked about it, and, and here's what we decided. What an awesome opportunity to be a representative for Christ in a context like that, what an awesome opportunity to use your trade and to serve this group of people who have just invited you to come and to serve and to help them. And maybe you'll warn, maybe you'll share wisdom, or maybe you'll just be a, a powerful example of the grace of Christ in that context. And so he decided, he's like, you know, what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and be the best representative of Christ that I could be to these people. And again, who are you warning? Who are you teaching? How are you using your life's work? Ultimately, I believe that if you submit whatever ability the Lord has given to you, whether it be expressed in your vocation or through some other means, if you submit it over to the Lord, I think he will open up doors like that for you. And then I think he's going to give you his power to actually accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. And I think he will give you the right words to say, even when you didn't have the time to prepare. And I think that he's ultimately going to show you favor in ways that will surprise you. And I believe that the Lord wants each and every one of us. This is why, as we started off today, I said, there's no, I don't believe there's such a thing as work that's sacred and work that's secular. I think if, it's, if it honors Christ, it's all sacred. And here's what else I believe. I believe the Lord purposely has called each and every one of us to have relationships with different people and to serve in different industries and to be ambassadors of Christ in different ways in the community so that representatives of the body of Christ show up in nursing, show up in electrical work, show up in plumbing, show up in babysitting, show up as a neighbor, show up as a a friend, show up as a family member, as a grandmother, as an uncle, whoever the Lord allows you to have a connection with, I believe that we could be very intentional about those connections and say, all right, Lord, I see the life's work you've given me. I see the people you've placed in my life. And I want to use the energy that I receive from you to be a witness from you, for you in the midst of the context that you just placed me in. That was what was motivating Paul. And so he looked at it and he said, you know what, I can put up with this suffering because I'm on mission right now. I can put up with this because I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I think that if you and I look at our lives and we're able to say, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I feel like you could almost put up with anything. Because you start to see beyond it. And you begin to see the purpose for it. And ultimately, Christ is the one that receives the glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the opportunity to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and to realize that there's a lesson here for us. Lord, you called the Apostle Paul to serve you in a variety of ways. You called the Apostle Paul to, to really take some risks that I think, generally speaking, most people would not be willing to take. Most of us try and keep things really, really safe. And Lord, I don't know that you've necessarily called us to spend our lives just trying to be safe all the time. And so, Lord, I pray that that you'd help us to be able to look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm willing to put up with some discomfort and I'm willing to put up with some risk. As long as I'm certain I'm right in the center of God's will. So Lord, I pray that you'd convince us of what you want us to do. I pray that you'd help us to look at at the gifts that you've given us and the personalities that you've given us, the opportunities and the relationships that you've given us, the place in which you've placed us. And that we would look at these things and say, all right, Lord, what is your will? We know that your will is that ultimately you speak through our lives and through the words that come out of our mouths and that that glorifies you and points people to your son, Jesus Christ. So we know that. But Lord, we also know that there are certain details along the way that you'll show us as we get in motion. So Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take the next step, even though we may not know exactly what that next step may be. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to look at our lives and say, I'm going to use this life for your glory and not uh, attempt to live my life in such a way that, that basically I'm, I'm just really trying to protect something that doesn't even belong to me. Lord, thank you for the example that you give us in a portion of scripture like this. I pray that it encourage our hearts and motivate us and that your name would ultimately be glorified as we, as we internalize this kind of counsel, as your Holy Spirit makes these things plain to our minds and plain to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together and to be able to start off our week observing the work you did in the life of, of one who has taught us your word. We've seen what what you did in Paul's life and read the words you inspired through him. And Lord, we just pray that we would approach our lives with that same attitude, because it's an attitude of spiritual maturity. And Lord, we want that. We want to be spiritually mature. We want to be the type of people that could rejoice in our sufferings, because we are that confident in your sovereignty. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for these reminders today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.